Hi, I'm Darren Wright. And I'm Tim Beadle. Welcome to Disciple Making. And welcome, friends, to another edition of Disciple Making. I'm Tim Beadle with my good friend, Darren Rye. Darren has been in the laboratory in these past weeks and months, uh, creating something called a missional living map that's still in the draft phase. But we're going to be uh, unpacking part of this map. I don't know about you, but uh, I refer to my GPS map more and more when I drive, just because I can get lost quite easily. But, but how about... In terms of missional living, disciple-making, that's what this podcast is all about. Darren, uh, do you want to just uh, sort of uh, cue up what we're going to be talking about today? Yeah, for sure. And we have talked about pieces of this in, in prior podcasts. And the idea behind this, Tim, is basically, in a way, I'm reverse engineering what I've observed in my life and the lives of the people in our, our 12 church ministry, the kinds of things that need to happen, almost the stages we need to pass through to move from being passive observers in the Christian life to living all out on mission, just what needs to happen internally, externally. And, you know, we've divided that. I've divided that into several, several different phases and steps. And, you know, we've talked about launching and just I'll read real fast, you know, gospel saturated, Christ centered, self-feeding. We've unpacked all of those partnering with others, being equipped and then being released into ministry. We talked about winning the loss. Now today we're talking about developing which yeah. for the, for those who are familiar with the Sun Life model, win, build, equip, multiply, uh, this is really building and equipping combined. It's really a person has come to faith and now what? How do we develop them into being active disciple makers? So that's kind of the, you know, the cue up. That's kind of where we're, we're headed yeah. today, focusing on that developing aspect of uh, disciple making. Yeah, and I think this is so vital because in the church, I think we've been good at teaching, but not so much the training aspect. And a lot of this happens behind the scenes. So you never really see it uh, sort of taught in the general population uh, of the church. I sort of uh, liken this in the uh, professional sports uh, venue to their farm system. Uh, Teams Mm. have a farm system where the younger players are are being uh, basically built up, developed, and equipped with the expectation that they're not going to stay in the farm system all that long. Eventually they'll be in the big leagues and they'll be living the life uh, of having arrived. And I I know uh, as followers of Jesus, we never arrive because, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he did say uh, he's going to complete the work that he began in us and that never ends. However, there comes a time where we can stand and say, uh, I'm ready to be approved and released in Mm -hmm. this apprenticeship skill of becoming a disciple maker. So uh, let, let's uh, wade into this, Darren, and do you sure. take the lead? Yeah. Go from there. Yeah. And well, in a minute, I want to talk to him about uh, just, you know, exactly specifically how and what do we do to develop people. But I want to throw out a question that I've heard debated in different contexts, and we've maybe alluded to it from time to time. And that's the issue of disciple making one-on-one versus disciple making in a, in a group. And, and just what's your, uh, just your reaction to that idea? What's the, there's a tension there. there, there is it a both and? And what's the difference in, in those yeah. two models or ways of doing it, developing yeah, people? Well, you know, I throw up scripture, you know, 1 Corinthians 11, 1, where Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Mm-hmm. Now, is he talking to the whole church? Is he talking to an individual? 
I know he did take you know young Timothy under his wing. Uh, so there would be probably an advantage uh, to both. So it's probably a bit of both and. However, um, if there's different levels of learning within the group, you can actually help develop uh, those who you want to develop others by letting them, uh, even as you're developing them, develop others within the group. Mm. So there, there's that uh, multi-tiered level. Uh, I think you know, one-on-one, uh, as long as it's a committed relationship, uh, you can put it go a lot deeper, a lot faster. Hmm. Uh, for instance, uh, as a pastor, if I was going to uh, teach a young protege how to do hospital visitation, it's easy to bring him into the room with me. If I have eight or ten people, <laughs> you know, they, they can't do that. They'll be out right. in the waiting room because it's not their time or turn. However, I know Greg Ogden in his triad model of discipling talks about the beauty of having a group, uh, a group environment, not more than three or four where you don't always have to be talking. You actually have a time to reflect, to think, to process while others are talking so you can hear them and be thinking and reflecting at the same time. Uh, mm-hmm. That's the one downfall of uh, one-on-one is that you're, you're, you're learning and living in real time and there's very little time for reflection unless you build it into the relationship. Hmm. Yeah, uh, that's good, Tim. I, I have recognized in my own life, we see in scripture, I think a bit of both end, in my yeah. own life, there's been a lot of group stuff. I've also had some mentoring, more formalized through courses I've taken, both peer yeah. mentoring and, and uh, I guess, mentoring from those who are ahead of me on the journey. And even in my disciple-making process, you know, linking up with uh, people like Damien uh, Girk for a while. So so that's that's been a part of it for me. The one aspect I haven't done a lot of, uh, a lot of people talk about, you know, the smaller group, the one-on-one, yeah. but a lot of people talk about triads. You know, groups of two or yeah. three, that get yeah. together. So it's actually three. And the idea being that, you know, there's two of you, you add a third person, then you spin off. And yeah. there's some benefit in that. Uh, like one thing I've noticed in our small groups, and we from time to time as a group, we've had where our group actually splits up and the men yeah. meet somewhere and the women meet somewhere else. Yeah. And yeah. you know what? There's some huge benefit to that. Uh, when When we've done that, it's been, the feedback's been outstanding. They've been, you know, excellent meetings. They don't want to make it permanent. But it's been no. just good to be with, uh, you know, men with men and ladies with ladies. So that's yeah. Uh, yeah. A, a smaller group there. And, of course, the one-on-one, uh, I'm probably, and I don't think this is old school. I think I can proof text it pretty well from Scripture. Uh, one-on-one is uh, men with men, women with women. Uh, even in Titus, I believe it says the older women should be teaching the younger women. And so uh, in that one-on-one methodology, I think it is, you know, gender specific. Not that I wouldn't mentor staff in a staff situation, uh, but I think that's a little, a little more formalized there. So that's just some of my riffing on, on the structure of that. Anything else on group size there, Tim? Yeah, uh, it's easy to hide in a group the larger it gets, mm. and uh, if we really want people to be participatory in this, uh, you have to make sure that you don't lose touch with people or that. You're observant. There's always going to be the eager beavers who want to answer everything first. Uh, but to make sure that you draw people out who perhaps are a little more introverted and, and, and contemplative uh, so that they can participate, uh, I think those are the people that actually will get the most out of a group if they are actually processing what everyone else is saying. But you can't let them stay silent for too long. You, you've got to draw them out because they usually – it's been my experience that the people who usually want to speak first with the right answer 
don't always have the best answer, the most wise <laughs> answer. It's usually the person who's sitting back, pondering, thinking, weighing and measuring what has been said. And then and then when they finally hmm. speak, they have this this nugget, this gem of yeah. wisdom that yeah. everyone else has sort of uh, overlooked. But, but that was worth waiting for. And that's the beauty of having uh, more than just one person in the group. But again, it can't be too large because then, then people, they, they lose touch. They, and also how the group meets. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you're meeting around a table and you're sitting at one end, usually the people at the other end, they, they get distracted first. I always try to sit in the middle and try to have a sightline of all the people as well. Uh, otherwise, you know, just the basic... Um, logistics of that can also impact the effectiveness of group meetings. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, another question Tim has to do with how, how, how we filter or, or allow people in or not. Like I know anybody with a regular church service, anybody can walk in, you know, as long as they're not planning to be disruptive, whatever, everybody truly is welcome. Uh, when it comes to spending either one-on-one -on -one time or a group, what kind of a commitment are you looking for? Uh, is it kind of come and go as you please? Or do you look for, in a disciple-making context, do you look for a little bit more of a formalized commitment? Yeah, uh, I would for sure. Like when you think of Jesus, when he called his disciples, he called a lot of people, follow me. But then in Matthew 4, 19, he, he wants to go deeper. And this is where he gets specific. He says, come follow me and I will make you into something. I'll make you into futures mm. of men. Mm -hmm. And that's when these guys had to leave their nets and follow him. So there was a cost to be counted, and um, you don't see him adding any more to the group huh. uh, throughout, throughout Scripture, right? These were the ones that, that he asked for a commitment, and he made a commitment to them. It was life on life. They shared life together. And I think uh, some people might have a written covenant um, in terms of what it means to enter into this. I don't think we can settle for come as you please, because in, in the culture in which we live, uh, you just can't count on people. And, and in this type of focused, concentrated obedience to Jesus, I think we have to raise the bar a little bit for sure. Mm. Yeah, no, I 100% I agree with you, Tim. Well, let's talk about some of the things that we are kind of developing in people. And we've already talked about, you know, things like gospel saturated and being self-feeding and some of those what we consider most basic Christian practices or foundational thinking. But when it comes now, equipping disciple makers, developing disciple makers, people who are going to be active, you know, actively involved in that, uh, you know, some of the kinds of things we want to pour into them. And for me, we've talked about this so much in the past. Uh, you know, it's a, a, a drum I've been beating pretty steady and I've, I've seen the benefits of it. And that's that whole just training people, that little discovery Bible study methodology, yeah. you know, equipping yeah. people to do that. And the beauty, what we've seen in our group, Tim, is, Simply by doing it in our group and rotating those who are facilitating it, everybody's being trained to lead a simple yep. discovery Bible study. It's a beautiful thing. I think that's, for me, that's one of the foundational areas of developing disciple makers. Yeah, I think we have to realize that most people who we are going to develop haven't been developed in this way or even within the church unless someone has mentored them. People get lots of development. If you're in hockey, and you want to become a coach, or if you're in volleyball, and you want to become a referee, there's all kinds of development camps you go to, because you have in your mind a picture of, of where you want to go and what you want to become, uh, not so much in the church. So so I think that the uh, Discovery Bible Study is an excellent place to start. 
I uh, just training someone one-on-one in my office this morning how to do this. And then we went through one. And I could see that uh, he's a relatively new believer, but he would have no problem whatsoever uh, being able to lead and facilitate a discovery Bible study. And if we had two other people in the, in the room, you're actually developing them as they develop other people as well. So I, I fully agree with that. Yeah. In a way, Tim, as I look as I, as I looked at this, really, it's it's really about a passing on of yeah, what's been passed on to you, isn't it? You know, we could yeah. we could roll all the way back through so much of the training things we've talked about where I would want to equip someone who's being developed to, you know, in personal evangelism. That would be kind of foundational. Yeah. Uh, I'd want yeah. to equip them you know, in areas of discovering their spiritual gifts and using their spiritual gifts and understanding their their function in the yeah. body. So it's really, you know, disciple making is a reproducing of ourselves, you know, and, and, and that's very quickly as we move next, our next episode, probably about multiplying, but we're talking about the content of developing. What do you do right now, Tim, as far as uh, training people in spiritual gifts? How do you go about that? Or how does that show up in your disciple making? Yeah, uh, you know, right now within the formal church setting, uh, it's done more on a uh, group basis. There, there, there are various tools. One's called Shape, which goes quite in deep, actually. Uh, free surveys online. Uh, what I found in the past is it's wonderful to help people find their gifts, and they can do that quite simply by taking a survey. It's another thing to have that gift uh, really affirmed in in not only the body, but in their life as well. I think mm. that's really important. And also building bridges. Uh, I, in the past, I got quite frustrated because people say, okay, I know my gift. Uh, what can I do now in the church? And now they're looking at the legacy traditional church and the leadership haven't thought that far ahead. They just said, well, let's help them find their gift. But they mm. haven't helped uh, build a bridge into actual ministry. So there's, you know, obviously uh, in disciple making, God has given us for the betterment of uh, the church body. So we have to look ahead and offer people opportunities, not only to find their gift, uh, but to develop it, not only discover, but to develop. And sometimes that means uh, there's a bit of ministry shadowing. If if someone has Hmm. a certain gift, I I will try to place them in, in years past. Uh, it's like, you know, uh, just sitting, watching how it works. And before you know it, you, you can feel their uh, enthusiasm and juices flowing because this is a gift and they want to get involved. Uh, and exactly. they're no longer a passive uh, passive observer. They want to be an active participant. So so th- those would be some of the things. Yeah. Uh, but but uh, specifically when it comes to disciple making, what, what if someone has a gift that really isn't associated uh, with you know, implicitly in in making a disciple. Well, I would say that they probably are in in some way explicitly or implicitly applied if we understand you know equipping and disciple making yeah. properly because we do need all the gifts. And I, I really have leaned a lot, Tim, onto the whole apest function, apostle, prophet, evangelist, yep. shepherd, teacher as functions. Yep. And and really am and and really am running down the road of considering seriously that. Every believer has one of those functions that their gifts then yeah. function inside in the body. And, and it seems to be, uh, you know, a viable view of that. And so for yeah. me, a lot of it, it's been helpful to our group here to understand functionally where they're at. You know, yeah. for, for one of our ladies who realized at one point, definitely the wiring was what you'd call shepherd and yeah. how that then changed the way she more boldly related to some people. 
And even, okay. you know, even, and even challenging someone who's wandering off path because that was almost their compulsion because of their gifting. And yep. so I would say it's helping people understand that gifts are given to pour into others, you know, yep. inside the body or outside the body. And by virtue of that, it's going to be either evangelism or developing disciples, right? As you use your gifts. Yeah. I mean, even the gift of encouragement, Tim. Take all the encouragement out of the room. <laughs> Take all of the right. encouragement out of your life as a disciple maker. You're done. Yep. You're done. Right. You know, we yep. could say that about almost every gift. You know, there's an old an old uh, line from, you know, leadership circles. Everything rises or falls on leadership. Yep. Well, I could say everything rises or falls on encouragement. Everything yeah. rises or falls on teaching. Everything rises or falls on shepherding. Like everything yeah. rises and falls on the body being the body. And people yeah. using their gifts in and outside the body for the common purpose of, you know, expanding the cause of Christ, the kingdom of God. Yeah, I like that because and when you use the terms of, you know, the functions, I don't think people have really spoken much about that in the past because basically we look at the traditional church and believe that, that that's the field in which we serve the way it is. And if the church isn't committed to living missionally, uh, reproducing and developing, then we probably aren't exercising the gifts that we have to the fullest capacity mm. and intention that the Lord has when he placed those gifts by his spirit within us. So yeah. I think uh, a new look at the church through the lenses of functionality would probably be a, a win-win for everyone. Yeah, I actually just replied to a, a blog post someone shared on Facebook just today, actually, about that, how I think that this this concept of APES dysfunctions we see it kind of at the core of a lot of disciple-making movements. And I think it's one of those things that could feed back in the legacy church and instantaneously or you know, over with process, make a church more on mission and more leaning towards disciple-making. I think it's a, a powerful concept. Uh, one more thing I want to throw on the table here, Tim, uh, that I think an area of developing people, for lack of a better phrase, and I think this is sometimes maybe more caught and modeled than taught formally, but something we could call peer counseling. Like yeah. really, how do we relate to other believers and even seekers who are wrestling through the stuff of life? And I think that is such a core part of, of disciple making, whether on the evangelism side or the developing side. And that's something that people will learn a little bit by observation, osmosis, even as we do with them. But there might be some room, and I'm even as we're talking about this, I'm kind of made a note, there might be some room for a little bit of semi-formalized training in that area for people. Yeah, yeah. counseling uh, goes a little deeper. Uh, it deals with one's past. It's the difference between counseling and coaching, yeah. which mm. is asking good questions. Uh, so it might be, you know, peer coaching and a bit of counseling as well. But for counseling, for sure, uh, a little more training would be helpful. I think uh, on the coaching side, learning how to ask good questions is a great way to mm. unearth uh and help people take ownership for their own life, their own ministry, their own opportunities and challenges as well. So, uh, but yeah, in terms of counsel, I think if we're going to be walking with people, uh, it depends on the, uh, well, transparency and willingness of the other person to, to be open as well. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, w I would say too, maybe, you know, as we move you know, into what we would call counseling, maybe that comes down to some of those functions. Like maybe the person in the shepherding function is the person that's going to go there more than certainly more than an apostolic or prophetic kind of person. Right. Uh, but it's just something that I've, I've seen 
areas in my life and other people's lives where that kind of focused kind of interaction can be very helpful developmentally. And if you have the gift of wisdom as well, uh, I think that that is apparent, uh, apparently uh, gifted to people in the church who can speak into the lives of others with maturity, wisdom, foresight. And uh, I, I too would agree that that would come under the function of uh, shepherding, uh, shepherding uh, ministry. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I think uh, when you start looking at the functions and then you populate under the functions, the various gifts that fit there, all of them will fit to one extent or another. Uh, but I guess it all comes down to, uh, like, like Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Yeah. Uh, and even said, you know, as, as uh, people can maybe uh, try to model their lives after us, but that, that, that only works if we're modeling our lives after Christ, of course. But well, yeah. Um, yeah, it's a continuum all, all the time is that we never stop learning. We never stop influencing or developing others who are coming alongside and also be willing and this is a tough thing, especially for people when they get older, uh, allowing some of the uh, the younger men and women in our time to actually surpass the place that we've got to in our lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just because they've got different gifts and, and they probably have more energy, but uh, just God's going to use them to do greater things. And, and we have to applaud that and, and stand back and be a cheerleader yeah. uh, as, yeah. as well as a developer as well. Oh, hey, man, you know, it's interesting. I was going to land on the follow me as I follow Christ as well. But I love your ad on there. Follow me as I follow Christ and then feel free to surpass me. Yeah, exactly. Effectiveness and wholeness and and sensitivity of the spirit and all those things. So, yeah, uh, developmentally, I think we need to be the kind of person uh, that has something worth passing on. And then that is what we will be developing others with, what we have already embraced and completely integrated into our lives. If it's not integrated... It's pretty hard yeah. to pass it on. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah you can yeah. teach about it with head knowledge. But yeah. uh, when you're living a Christ-centered life and spirit-empowered, a mission-focused, uh, not only you're passing something on, you're entrusting someone to someone else as well, yeah. Uh, yeah. just because it's a living experience. And, and uh, I continue to learn. And I was just reflecting uh We've almost been at this for three years, Darren, doing these podcasts. And it's like we're, we're, we're just sort of getting into some of that, that really deeper stuff. And it's like uh, you, you just never – this never, never ends because Christ continues to work in us and through us. And the uh, the future is as bright as it's ever been when it comes to disciple-making. Amen. That, that's it. That's exactly right. We're learning along the way. And, and I would just invite our listeners to say, follow us as we seek to follow Christ. We're willing Amen. to learn from you. Hope you can learn from us. Uh, where yeah. you just want to be disciple makers in this time and place and want to encourage others to join us on that great adventure. Amen. Join us next time. Thanks for joining us. For more information, go to imakedisciples.com or christfollowerdna.com. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts.